So I was 42 years old when I discovered I have ADHD and I have spent my entire life feeling like I'm always five steps behind a late bloomer, someone who gets across the finish line by the skin of my teeth. And yet most of you who don't know me intimately probably would never really know most of this. Truly, I have mastered the art of masking. On the outside looking in, there are many markers of success to my life. Two degrees, a well-paying job, and a career that I find deep fulfillment in. A plethora of board and community volunteer work, owning my own home, an admirable credit score, and for the most part, keeping this podcast alive for the last four years. But what you don't see is the very long and arduous road to get here that has included very deeply impulsive decisions, internalized imposter syndrome, being way too close to the edge of being a college dropout multiple times. At one point, racking up credit card debt to the point of oblivion and ongoing road rage that at times feels uncontrollable and a general disorganized chaos in my brain that feels like a hundred tabs open at once that often leads to stress-inducing procrastination, overeating to avoid difficult things, a million inspired ideas that never get moved ahead, forgetfulness, unanswered emails and text messages and DMs, and disinterest in projects and people that no longer or don't inspire me. And truly, it amounts into day-to-day chaos that more often than not ends up actualizing into a sink full of dishes and a warm and comforting spot of clothes on the floor of my bedroom for my dog to sleep in while I'm at work. And, you know, I've heard someone recently talk about this idea that they have a lot of control over their kind of introspective sharing online. And that really resonated deep in my core as I am very much the same. I can literally pour my heart out on a platform that is accessible by virtual strangers, but the topic and the focus is typically on that, which I have processed within myself, what I've come to terms with and that, which I've kind of immersion therapied myself into accepting where there isn't necessarily shame attached to my sharing of my mistakes and indiscretions in the past, and hence why it's really controlled vulnerability. And this is not one of those cases at all, but I am a writer at heart, and the act of writing is often what helps me process and to heal the not-so-pretty, sometimes shameful parts of me. So here we are. And I have this very strange relationship with this podcast. If you've been around at any point over the last four years, you will note that I infuse a lot of my personal life experiences into this platform. I use it almost as a form of therapy some days because I am a reflective and introspective person and something like this really helps me to process things. And it's also an opportunity to use my life and my career mistakes and my life's work to support others in not making the same mistakes. And I also get to advance equity from a place of possibility. 
And it often ends up being this combination of reflective processing with hopefully a little bit of value to those listening that goes beyond just an online stream of my own consciousness. This particular episode will most certainly be a combination of all of the above, but truthfully, it's a really tough one for me to have written, to produce, and to hit publish on. It took me a long time, you know, far longer than normal to find any sort of real flow in writing this, which to me is that telltale sign that I'm blocking something from fully coming to the surface. And a lot of that is because I still feel incredibly raw and very uncertain about how those of you that are listening will process your impressions of me as a person after hearing this. So if you are here with me, know that you are in a space that may feel a little bit unfinished, but that hopefully will shed some new light for you on ADHD and the intersections of being a racialized woman navigating this. And maybe if you're anything like me, it will make you feel a little bit less alone. And It's really interesting because as I've been going through the process of trying to understand and process my ADHD diagnosis, I came across um, someone that talked about their late in life diagnosis as kind of forcing them into a process of mourning the life that they didn't even realize was possible for themselves. Every time I say this, I get so emotional because That statement resonates in ways that I can't even quite fully understand. But truly, I've spent a lifetime feeling really different, like a puzzle piece that doesn't quite fit, Uh, feeling like a walking dichotomy in a lot of ways. I'm lazy on one hand, yet hyperproductive under pressure. I live with quote unquote organized chaos. I have this innate emotional intelligence, but it's coupled with this ability to detach that can sometimes come too easily. I also tend to say the quiet parts out loud, but really only in spaces and places where either I've given myself the ability to really be myself or where the truth just simply can't stay inside me. I am an oversharer who is also a very proud introvert. And I'm vulnerable, but with intention. I have these bursts of road rage that are coupled with this passive approach to other situations in my life that keep me very detached from aggression in 95% of my life otherwise. And for a lot of people, such a diagnosis can provide the sense of clarity And for me, it left me feeling disconnected because of the possibilities of a life that I didn't get to have. I think about that 10-year-old Shazia who struggled so hard to finish a book or to find success in many of the conventional markers in academia for the first 26 years of my life. The young woman who pursued advanced education to prove something to myself and to show the world that I was capable of doing things the right and the conventional way. The young girl who felt so out of place and took so many extra years to meet the mark in some capacity around markers of success that were conventional. 
the young woman who made such foolish decisions that still does out of deep impulse and sometimes that lack of capacity to think through the consequences. And the young girl who would have had absolutely zero outlet to have gotten support. Not only was ADHD this shameful young boy's problem when I was growing up, I was also growing up in an immigrant household with parents who were genuinely in survival mode, who were disconnected in their day-to-day lives from their larger family structures, and where sort of those normal Western development experiences within childhood, where those were often met with discomfort and shame, and frankly, they likely wouldn't have had the capacity to know what to do with the child who had ADHD. And I am a child of the 80s and 90s, and the term ADHD carried a lot of shame and negative stigma back then. Even now, with me being so deeply immersed in the world of equity, diversity, and inclusion in my work and in my life, the term neurodiverse feels so strange and uncomfortable for me to use to describe myself. It's almost like the term has gotten some sort of a rebrand in the past year with the massive uptake in women being diagnosed with ADHD. And it feels like we're almost all kind of scrambling to find a list of folks who are successful humans and happen to have ADHD to comfort ourselves and grab on to the differences as positive to make ourselves feel better about how we don't fit the mold. Because frankly, difference is still stigmatized and we're navigating a neurotypical world that frankly doesn't want our excuses. No matter how many successful entrepreneurs we see proudly using their ADHD as a strength and a superpower, to learn about such a diagnosis for myself so late in life leaves a lot more questions unanswered. And this very deep desire to kind of refute that label, while also simultaneously looking back over a lifetime to understand how much it really has affected and impacted my life, my potential, my relationships. And part of me thinks that the generalized symptoms of ADHD and how they present in women can be applicable to so many people, especially post-pandemic, where Our worlds have been turned upside down in a way that created this sort of new normal. And perhaps I, like many others, are just really still in the process of adjusting. Although my diagnosis journey did bring a lot of clarity to the younger me that didn't live, obviously, in a world that was disoriented by a global pandemic, it's still hard not to downplay my truth because so many people are coming to have their own aha moments around potentially having ADHD. And according to The Guardian, they go on to say that ADHD is having a moment. On TikTok, videos tagged hashtag ADHD have been viewed more than 11 billion times. Most of the creators are 20 and 30-somethings who identify as having the executive function disorder, whose symptoms commonly include difficulties in concentrating and regulating emotions, where the striking overlap between ADHD symptoms and the garden variety quote-unquote pandemic brain only 
compounds common misunderstandings of the former. They go on to say that simply ADHD symptoms can look and sound a whole lot like the struggles that define many people's everyday workflows, which are so often fragmented by push notifications and digital dopamine hits. Who doesn't have trouble multitasking or following through with tasks and who isn't fighting the urge to impulse scroll social media during the particularly dull moments of any given afternoon. They go on to say that in the past two years, these difficulties have only become more pronounced, but whether or not ADHD is actively overdiagnosed is a separate question and one without simple answers. And two things are certain. For one, research suggests that ADHD isn't a clear-cut disorder that a person either totally does or does not have, but a combination of challenges that present on a spectrum of impairments. And for me, that spectrum of impairment is what I am really grappling with. And see, there's this additional sticky layer of my own identity that often I can't ignore and that can't take a one-size-fits-all approach to this commonly doled out, you know, well-meaning advice. The one part of this diagnosis that I struggle the most with, it's that as a racialized woman, a child of immigrants, my ability to navigate through the consequences of such a diagnosis are simply far more nuanced and complicated than someone of the majority. One perspective obviously relates to my upbringing as a first-generation Canadian, a child of Pakistani immigrants who additionally comes from a religious community where achievement and success are par for the course. I have been taught through the many challenges that life has presented that I should not have any excuses for life. I'm a highly self-critical human with the literal, genuine inability to give myself grace. And grace is exactly what is required when you hear such a life-changing perspective on yourself. And you can imagine this perfect storm internally and amongst a community and a family that doesn't really enjoy talking through such things. And that perfect storm, that means there's a lot of internal processing And oftentimes, dramatically feeling like I was dropped into the middle of the ocean with no life raft. This diagnosis is yet another secret that I have to keep from my family who just simply wouldn't get it. And the consequences and the risks are bigger than just my own individual angst about it. If you think about it this way, as a racialized woman... Generally, I am more at risk in the workplace for discrimination, needing to assimilate to remove any semblance of difference that can be weaponized against me, more so than any way than a white woman or, of course, than white men. However, I'm at a privileged place as a quote-unquote model minority, someone whose proximity to whiteness aids me in advancing in the workplace far more easily than Black or Indigenous women. Yet the irony of being the model minority keeps me trapped in this vicious cycle of expectation that pushes against all odds to find not only success, 
but the need to have impact and accolades that supersede most. The idea of disclosing any sort of a diagnosis that requires accommodation that is rooted in my own self-advocacy is very tricky. And yes, most certainly risky. On a bit of a tangent, we all operate in workplaces that are designed to uphold tenets of white supremacy and traits that genuinely go against the grain of what I naturally excel at as an ADHDer. Cultural tenets like perfectionism, a sense of urgency, quantity over quality at times, those things all leave me questioning whether so many of us really have ADHD or we're just resisting to conforming to white supremacist workplace cultures that ultimately do not value individual lives and contribution as much as they value upholding whiteness. But that is a tangent perhaps for another day. I'll just leave that there. But truly the fear that pulses through my body when thinking about that box, the label and how that manifests in people's brains into something they just can't forget about you. How quickly you can be diminished and overlooked or seen as not capable. I can say without a shadow of a doubt that more than one workplace in my past has included leaders that would have weaponized such a diagnosis against me. One boss is absolutely seared in my brain who had really mastered the art of passive aggressive commentary. They reminded me of someone who took their leadership advice from old school 1980s books inspired by that command and control leadership style and any person's even slightest demonstration of personality made them deeply awkward and everyone around them visibly uncomfortable. And really their style forced anyone that worked for them to walk on eggshells. The feeling of safety in authenticity was absolutely non-existent. And any disclosure or request for accommodation would most certainly have been used against me in yearly performance reviews, which despite promotions in every organization I've worked for starting in my career in HR, have usually always kept me humbled with a meets expectations marking. Another tangent for another day. And I wish I could relay a bunch of advice to help you navigate your own journey. But the truth is, I'm still very much in it figuring out what works and doesn't work for me. I also recognize that like anything with neurodiversity, there is a spectrum. And what is true for me in how I show up with my ADHD and how it impacts my life may not be true for you. I want to so badly though, tie everything up with a pretty bow and call it a day, but that's not how these things work. But I will say that the process of even being open about this, although has not been easy and not an uneventful decision to come to, because it feels like a shameful admission of something that I don't really know how to quite own. And part of that has come from working through a mourning process that has not had a really clear path or way forward with all the complicated nuance that, you know, such a life-changing truth does to a person. But in part, this truth-telling makes me feel like I have some control over the narrative 
a way to provide people context into the layers of a person who is dealing with this that hopefully helps people to start to go beyond the stereotypical judgments and assumptions. It's been freeing in some ways to write about it and now talk about it because in part, I've also started to uncover the beauty of my brain and one that simply hasn't always been given the opportunity to come fully alive. I saw a tweet a while back that I took a screenshot of and saved to my favorites and my phone as a gentle reminder of the depth of grace that I've had to give myself as I work through what ADHD means for me. And maybe it will be helpful for you too. It's from Brittany Bush Bollet, and she goes on to say that the thing about ADHD is that it's actually great. I love the way my brain works. I'm funny and flexible and creative and adventurous. My frustrations mostly stem from trying to force my ADHD brain to function in a non-ADHD world. And the realization that as a neurodivergent person, the world simply isn't designed for people like me. That also adds a complicated layer because so much of the changes that are required to work through this require me to get better at assimilating to meet the needs of a neurotypical world or advocating for myself in ways that I haven't ever really been able to do. I've mastered the art of fitting in, doing what is expected and pushing through, asking for help or reframing how I see these supposed flaws and any of my mistakes does not come naturally or easily. I'd say that the one thing though that I've learned so far is to sit in it for as long as is needed and taking in information as it connects to you and your own story, and your own self. Not everything will resonate, and not everything should. If you have any intersections to your identity that make you feel less safe existing in the world, listening to advice on how to manage or live with ADHD should be taken with a grain of salt, and dependent on the person doling out the advice, no matter how well-intentioned it may be including for me. (laughs) But I also leave you and myself with this last note on grace. A reminder of sorts to give yourself grace as you get to know yourself all over again. The person I've become in the last 42 years has been a response of sorts to a world that doesn't really know what to do with people like me. The person I'm going to become has to be met with grace, with kindness, and the genuine capacity to get to know myself all over again from a lens of curiosity, learning all of the ways in which this beautiful and dynamic brain of mine operates. And it's going to be quite the ride.